This is the DallasCowboys.com Draft Show. Your war room for insider news and draft analysis from deep within the confines of Cowboys headquarters at the Star in Frisco. The Dallas Cowboys select T.D. Lamb. And now, your hosts, Brian Broaddus, David Hellman, Bucky Brooks, and Kyle Yeomans. Just 65 days to the NFL Draft on April 29th, 2021, as we are just around the corner from what would have been Combine Week in the NFL. But we are going to talk through it here on the DallasCowboys.com Draft Show. Kyle Yeomans, Bucky Brooks, David Hellman will be soon to be joined by Brian Broaddus coming up here in the next couple of moments. But guys, 65 days. It's the Draft Show presented by Miller Lite. That's always been the case. But... I mean, it's now crunch time for these scouting departments. We're getting into the nitty-gritty, Bucky, because, hey, there's a lot of evaluation still to go for a lot of these prospects. The lists have been made. Now it's really time to fill them out a little bit. Yeah, the lists have been made, but, I mean, there's so many guys to talk about and discuss. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to get all the information right. You're trying to get all the background information. You're trying to get any of the physical stuff that you can get on them. And you're trying to make sure that the profile is complete so you can stack these guys. You can separate um, the top guys from the guys that are right in the middle of the pack and beyond. And so it is a huge challenge. It's a lot of weight to uh, bear if you're a front office, particularly because you don't have to combine and some of the other things that you're used to having. Dave, how much of a challenge is this going to be for the Cowboys front office specifically? Because, I mean, whenever you look at in the past, the Combine has certainly played a big factor, the Senior Bowl as well. I mean, we've talked plenty about the Senior Bowl and how there's probably going to be some guys from that group that are going to be in Dallas. But Will McClay and his staff, I mean, they have a tough task ahead of them of trying to figure out how to evaluate these college prospects. And we've talked about opt-outs and all sorts of different wrenches and curveballs that have been thrown into this thing. But it, it continues to be crazy. I'm really, I'm really sad right now, now Kyle, uh, because Why is as we sit here, we, you know, I know not everybody listens live, but we are recording this at 10 a.m. Dallas time on Tuesday, and if, if it was a normal year, we would be in a cab right now on our way to downtown Indianapolis, because uh, Tuesday is kind of the unofficial start of the Combine Week. We would probably be heading right to the JW Marriott to go try to talk to Stephen Jones, which is always kind of the the start of Combine Week. And it, it just bums me out because, you know, I always talk about the draft process as like um, it's like a roadmap. Or if you play video games, you know how you kind of like uncover the map as you go along. And you just you don't have a lot of that stuff that helps you do that. Like when you go to the Combine, obviously – you have the workouts and the measurements, and we always say you don't want to fall in love with that too much, but at the same time, it helps you differentiate between these players, you know, whether that's arm length or 40 time or the three-cone time helping you figure out, you know, who's got the burst to get around the corner, that type of stuff. And then also, this is where you start hearing about teams zeroing in on guys, whether that's because they take the time to sit down with them on an official interview or you kind of say, oh, wait, you know, the Cowboys only have 60 interviews and they're talking to 10 quarterbacks. That's that's something, you know, and we just don't have that this year, which means uh, you have to cast that much wider of a net. You know, you have to you have to consider more guys than you would probably need to in a normal year, honestly. And uh, it's it's just kind of frustrating. 
Is it more frustrating, Bucky, from a media standpoint this year than it normally has been? Because I know, especially you guys at the NFL Network, you get unprecedented access. And sure, every media member has some level of access. But is it more frustrating to try and put that piece together also with kind of the networking that goes on? I know I was looking forward to going back a second year because of some of the connections we made last year at the draft that kind of gave you some of that information and you get to see these prospects with your own eyes and ask these questions. But how frustrating is it not only from a media perspective but just an overall general standpoint? Well, I mean, I think it's frustrating on a bunch of different levels. I think this... The Combine is really the NFL convention. It is the one time that everyone is in the same city in the same location. Coaches, scouts, uh, media members, everyone is there. And so it's the one time that you can catch up with everybody on all things related to football, whether it's college or the NFL. And so, yeah, I, I am frustrated that you do miss out on some of those conversations and not the conversations that would take place in front of the mic, but those conversations that you would have at restaurants and those things when you catch people uh, with their hair down a little bit. And so I think missing that part of it, not being able to kind of follow some of the breadcrumbs that would be dropped along the way, that makes it challenging because people would kind of give you indicators on who they liked and what they liked and how the league is trending. We won't get any of that. And you can't get that information from text and sometimes phone calls. Which, and uh, just to, to kind of go off that point, you know, and, and obviously we like, you know, we love to say investigate and educate, and that's absolutely what we'll keep doing. But my whole thing is like, as a, as a Cowboys reporter who also reports on the draft, I care a lot less how I feel about guys and a lot more how the Cowboys front office feels about guys. Like, I, you know, who who cares mm-hmm. at the end of the day if I like Caleb Farley more than Patrick Sertan, you know? Uh, because if the Cowboys... I care, if, Dave. Well, thank you, Kyle, but the Cowboys don't. I've learned that over the last eight years is that they definitely, <laughs> they definitely don't care what I think. So I'd much rather get a better idea of what they think. And Bucky's absolutely right. You know, showing up at showing up at St. Elmo's or Kilroy's at 11 o'clock at night and talking to people after they've had a couple of beers is a great way to get an idea about what they're thinking or who they like or who they don't like. I can't tell you the number of times. And to be fair, scouts and front office people love to know more than you. And they do most of the time. But, like, they're not going to give you the satisfaction of thinking that you had a good idea very often. Um I can't tell you how many times I've gone out at the Combine and somebody's like, oh, yeah, you media types. I don't know why you're still talking about that guy. Like, or I don't know, I don't know why y'all are all so in love with that guy. You know, like that is, that's like a rite of passage every year at the Combine is finding out that all your favorite players can't play. Uh, so, um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's valuable information that you get when you're hobnobbing around Indy. And, and Bucky's absolutely right. Like, you can text and call people all you want, but it's it's not quite the same, and it, it definitely hampers the process. Bucky, have you ever scout shamed a media member in your day back in the day before you were a media member? No, 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 I don't think so. I think I think it's interesting. I think the conversations are interesting, particularly if you've had a couple uh, of adult beverages and people are really having uh, what I call unfiltered, unfiltered conversations. Um, I think it's good, but I think it's also good, like being on the scout part of it. Um, this is the first time that you've been around a bunch of guys. And a lot of times at the combine, while we were watching workouts, you have a group of guys that are just having open conversations about players. And, hey, well, what do you think about this dude? 
And what do you think about that, dude? And uh, I didn't like that. Well, have you seen him in this game? Uh, I watched him play versus this. Maybe you should go back and check that out. Um, sometimes you kind of need to bounce some ideas and some thoughts off others just to either, I mean, maybe some of his self-validation, but just confirm like, oh, okay, I'm not crazy. I'm not the only one who may have a big grade on this guy, or maybe I do need to think about it this way. Not that it necessarily changes you, but you want to be challenged a little bit to make sure that you end up getting it right based on your own opinion at the end of the day. Now, from a, a complete standpoint, and we've talked about this previously with kind of the Senior Bowl and, and, and other evaluation process, uh, events, but whenever it comes to guys touching the tags, and we're going to spend a lot of time today mm -hmm. kind of split up by Twitter on the 20 of talking about guys touching tags, but how much of a, a an impact does the combine play on some of those guys that are so close to, on your chart and your draft board to each other that it's kind of tough to decipher and you need every single piece of information, Bucky, because, I mean, we've already talked about it and, and Dave threw out the names earlier. Caleb Farley, Patrick Sertan, I think those are probably the two guys that right now, especially in the fans or the minds of Cowboys fans, are the potential picks at 10 and a lot of those have their tags touching. So what are we missing with Caleb Farley and Patrick Sertan this week, both corners, Virginia Tech, Alabama, respectively, that have these tags touching but have to have a little bit of that evaluation process maybe to decipher between the two well one thing that the combine provides you is the opportunity to watch them work out back to back now depending on where their letters of their last name would fall you might have an opportunity to see those guys work out literally behind each other and being able to do that one-on-one -on -one compare contrast in terms of how they backpedal how they break and drive who flips their hips who's more explosive who jumps higher to take all of that information on top of what you've seen on tape it can help you kind of separate which camp you're on and i, th I think we missed that because it's one thing to go to virginia tech and watch caleb farley work out then to go to alabama a couple days later it's another thing to watch it happen in real time and we can tape those things or whatever, but there's a feel that you get when you see guys go back to back that can help you kind of cast that deciding vote. We missed that. And so, yeah, we can look at the pro day numbers. The pro day's numbers would be different because they're taken at different places, measured by different guys. But at the combine, the playing field is level. And so it helps you separate who you really like versus, hey, this guy should be below this other guy. Hey, Bucky, let me, let me, sorry, Kyle, let me ask you a hypothetical, Buck. Um, because I, mean, I already said it, and, you know, people call it the Underwear Olympics. You always try to guard against falling in love with guys at the Combine. But you think about, you know, Caleb Farley, great example, Micah Parsons, Jamar Chase. Mm -hmm. What do you think would happen if these guys were able to go to the Combine and light it up the way that you would guess that they would? Uh, do you think that would weigh more heavily? Like, maybe, maybe it is a good thing? That you don't have this as a as a way of offsetting the, the the lack of tape or whatever. I guess is you know if, if these guys show up and have an amazing workout, do you think it would it would impress people more uh, than a normal year? I guess is what I'm trying to say. It would serve as a yeah. reminder. It, like if, if we saw Michael Parsons going lighted up, it would remind us like oh, you know what? I like this maybe, guy. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> you know maybe. 
Maybe he's not so bad because he sat out a year. Jamar Chase running routes, snagging balls. It's a reminder. It brings you back to the forefront. And so, yeah, it would be a great opportunity. Caleb Farley, because he hasn't played in a while, but we've seen Patrick Sertan, the second play this year. But if he goes out there and he moves around and he looks, you're more apt to, to kind of fall back in love with, with him. And so without that, you don't have that ability. And sometimes there are guys that do things that, really amazed you. Like last year, Tristan Wirfs, all the work that he was able to do, right? Um, you see him as a right tackle only at Iowa, but then you see the athleticism and all the traits, and then you dig into the background. He was a state champion discus thrower and state champion wrestler, and you put all of those things together, and then you see him play this year, and he's the starting right tackle for the Super Bowl champion. And so it can remind you on some of these athletic traits that you do know that are essential. And even though we kind of ding and, and dog, hey, it's the underwear limpers, it, it doesn't really matter. In some cases, it does. Because you've seen those games where you see the athleticism play out in, in real time in front of you. You want those explosive athletes. Like, it's a beauty pageant. And in the draft, I want the prettiest I want the prettiest girl. Like, I want it. So I want, it, I want him to have it all. I want him to be the most talented. I want him to win the swimsuit edition. I want it all. And so that's what the combine gives you an opportunity to see. <laughs> it's a good way to put it, Bucky. I like it. And, and, and from here is where the roadmap really kind of starts to narrow. And you start to kind of get that, that certain idea of who is the prettiest girl at the ball. You know, Bucky? I mean, you got to find a way to, to evaluate that process previously. But I want to hear a roadmap and a, and a thought process for some of these specific guys. And, and throughout the, the rest of this segment and in the third segment, we're going to do some buy or sell. I want to talk about guys that we know those tags are touching and, and allow really those at home to have that same kind of evaluation process with us because they're going to wait and watch the pro days kind of like what we are because right now you would have all these evaluations, the, pro, the combine and all sorts of things, and then we would go and try and add on to that with the pro days. Well, the pro days are it. And that starts pretty much March 5th, I think, is really the first real big pro day. I know Trevor Lawrence has already done his individual workout. That's a specific case. But what guys right now that you guys have looked at might be right there on that touching tags? They're right next to each other that you really need to see more of in order to try and make a fair decision. Uh, I mean, like, there's so many ways to go. Um, I think here's what's interesting, right? Um, the more you dig into the wide receiver class, the more that you're like, my gosh, you can get yeah. a wide receiver at any level of the draft. Like, there are guys that we haven't even talked about. We've been doing the show for a few months. Like, Elijah Moore from Ole Miss. Like, just running around or whatever. And, like, there's barely been a peep said about him. Amon Ross St. Brown from USC, yeah. who is as talented as they come, maybe a natural slot receiver that we haven't talked about. And so as we begin to kind of break this out, there's so many prospects to discuss that are kind of under the radar that when we get to draft weekend, we're going to hear their name called and be like, oh, yeah, I liked him, but I forgot to talk about him. You know, like those kinds of things. And, and that's what I think we're kind of missing with the combine because that would enable us to have some of these conversations about guys that we just haven't got to because we tend to focus on kind of the brand names, the big guys. Which, and to go off that, I mean, any any position where there's a bunch of guys that I like, I mean, we already talked about Farley and Sertan. I think that's the most obvious one. Because, I, th- I mean, that's a true that's a true coin flip as far as who could be the pick at number mm-hmm. 10. But how about, you know, how about the conversation that you have about linebacker? Like, you know, if, if Jeremiah mm-hmm. Owusu-Koromoa could go to the Combine and just run a badass 40 time, what would that do for his draft stock? 
You know, uh, would, would we be more willing to talk about him as a candidate at number 10 if he really put forth the speed and measurables to maybe play safety or at least be more of a hybrid player? How about, you know, to, to take it to safety? Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm thinking of uh, Jeff Kavanaugh's guy, Ardarius Washington, the TCU safety. Jeff would draft him in, <laughs> Jeff would draft him in the first round. I don't know that many people that agree. <laughs> draft him in yeah. But, again... Yeah. He would trade up to five and go get Again, him. well, yeah, but... Imagine if he, it could be as simple, you know, you go to the combine and do a full list of workouts. You measure mm-hmm. in, if he measures in at 5'10", maybe people are a lot higher on him than they were. If he measures in at 5'8 maybe people ding him a little bit. Like, that's, when you're talking about, you know, Broadus, mm-hmm. Broadus always talks about ice cream flavors, it just helps you expand yeah. your palate where you're like, oh, I really like that guy, but... He doesn't have the length for me to want to draft him in the top fifty. Um, so, was, yeah, so it's so it's funny you talk about that, Dave. So, in speaking specifically, what about the pass rush? Sure, right? because there's kind of this uncertainty about all of these guys. Is it Gregory Rousseau, Quiddy Pay? Um, so many guys that you want to talk about that you want to see that you you like. Well, I mean, I, I kind of like him, but I don't know if the twitch really translates. It, can he really get after the quarterback? How tall is he? Does he have long arms? Is he more of a three four guy that we want to stand up and play in space? Or oh no, this is a guy he only can have his hand in the dirt. Those things we won't necessarily get a chance to see as you begin to watch them back to back to back to back to back with some of their competitors at the position. Or, uh, uh, it, it just sucks. Cause, and, and these guys will have pro days, but it's not quite the same for me. Guys, Brian and Bucky can tell you guys typically tend to do better on their home field. Mm-hmm. Um, but I talk about this all the time, right? Like, I'm obsessed with finding value in the second round. I'm like, okay, Make the smartest pick possible at 10, but let's find some real value in the second round. A guy that I love, um, George's Tyson Campbell. We, we, talk, oh, we talk about him as a guy who's got the athleticism to maybe go as high as the first round, which maybe I love the fact that he can't work out at the combine because if he can't run, maybe he slips a little bit. Maybe he doesn't have that amazing combine that bumps him up into that range. Maybe... Without that more complete profile, he's a guy that you could get at 44. So if you don't take Farley or Sertan, you could still get a really quality guy like they did last year with Trayvon Diggs. Um, but if he shows up in Indy and runs an amazing 40 time, that's probably off the table. So I'm trying to talk myself into this maybe being a good thing that you know you teams just have to trust the tape a little bit more than they normally would, which is kind of scary. But if you do your job the right way, it could also be really fun. See, I don't know if it's necessarily scary, right? I don't know if it's necessarily scary that you don't have the workouts to consider because what happens is um, a lot of times you have to remember this is the first time the coaches have really had real exposure to them, and there's nothing more that a coach loves than to take on, hey, just give me to him, I'll get him right. Yeah. Like, give me the big explosive athlete, I'll fix him, I'll get him right. He just hasn't been coached the right way. Whereas when you've studied the tape, the tape is how yeah. you play and like typically, like I'm gonna talk. The tape is your DNA. Like what you, more times than not, what you see on tape is exactly what the player is going to do in the league. Like they don't typically change a whole lot. And so it's a matter of putting them in the right situation. So for the teams that rely on the tape, the teams that just dig into the tape and ignore some of the numbers and those things, they're gonna be fine in this process. Those who really love the numbers. 
Um, and, and man, the New York Giants used to do the box test and all this other stuff and everything that was about the metrics and all that. Those are the teams that would have more trouble without the workouts because that's a huge part of their evaluation puzzle. It's always going to be a big part of it. Now, I, I kind of want to talk about linebackers a little bit more because I feel like more and more, Dave, people are starting to get on the Jeremiah Lusu koromora trade. And <laughs> I'm not against this. At, uh, I mean, maybe at 10, I'm against it. But trade down, sure, there's, there's a lot of conversations here. But there's also Zabin Collins out of Tulsa who's been kind of thrown into that mix of like a mid-first-round pick and somebody at a mm-hmm. linebacker spot that you could potentially go look at. Uh, I mean, there's a Twitter on the 20 question that has to deal with it, but I'm going to go ahead and kind of move it up because we're talking about some of these tags touching. I think Owusu Koromora is a better player. I've seen Collins as maybe a tag toucher whenever it comes to those two guys, but what would you guys do if there were a linebacker taken at 10 instead of a, a, a secondary player or instead of maybe an offensive tackle? I would just, I want to, I've actually, I thought about this yesterday, Kyle, and <clears throat> again, investigate and educate. Like, maybe we aren't, maybe yeah. we aren't super high on the guy. You know, we talked earlier in the draft cycle about character concerns with Micah Parsons, but like, you got to throw, you got to include his name and like, of the, sure, let's throw of the like half dozen guys that we really have circled as possible at number 10, Parsons is probably the one that we've talked about the least. Like, we've probably mm-hmm. just in our minds said like okay no way i don't think you can necessarily do that and i think people are people are kind of coming back around on him so all three of those um i guess your question is what would what would the pick be or what would my reaction be if the pick was the linebacker um i guess it depends on who it is but i'm intrigued by owusu koromoa mainly because of versatility and that's if i'm and and parsons as well for that matter like if i'm drafting a linebacker in that position. I want versatility. You know, Parsons can rush the passer. Koromoa can cover, maybe play some safety. He, he goes down in the slot. Um, so if you're giving me a guy that's that versatile, I'm not opposed to it at all. But I'd rather draft him. I'd rather draft one of the cornerbacks. Uh, I, I think I think with um, linebackers and the discussion will be had about off-the-ball linebackers and their impact, or whatever. I think now more than ever, if you take a guy on the second level, um, high in the draft, he has to be able to impact the game in a variety of ways. He not only has to be able to be a sideline to sideline enforcer, but he has to be able to give you something in terms of production against the pass, whether that's in coverage, whether that's as a sacker, all of those things. I think we talked about Devin White, right? And quietly, Devin White may have had nine yep. sacks or whatever for sure the did. Buccaneers. Like, yeah. That's the kind of production that you're talking about. Okay, well, that's worth that's worthy of being a top five selection. Um, the conversation with Michael Parsons, and I am guilty of it because I, I went out here and absolutely stained his name um, when we had one of the early shows. The character concerns, like when I talk, when we talk about the character stuff, the character stuff is really immaturity. But then having a conversation with James Franklin or whatever, like the kid graduated in three years, which speaks to his ability to focus and take care of business in the classroom. And then you get around the program and you know he's a really good player. And then you watch the tape and you see a freak athlete who can come downhill, who plays heavy-handed, he has a nasty disposition. And you're like, well, you know, like, maybe because he's been out of sight this year, it's been easy to kind of pile on and, and you just don't give him what you should in terms of giving him his just due in terms of the player. The thing about a Wusu Koromoa, Need to see him at a combine because you need to know how big yeah. he is in terms yeah. of size. Because 
Darius Leonard is a guy who arguably is one of the best linebackers in football, but for the Indianapolis Colts, by the end of the season, he's playing at 215. You know, 217, which is really light, but he's really good. Well, Cormore, how big is he and what is he going to play like? Because there's some people that say maybe he's in the low twos at the end of the year. And that makes a huge difference when you're thinking about him inside the box as opposed to outside the box as a hybrid player. And so those things will have to be determined when you get a chance to see those guys work out. And then with Collins, what is his best position? Because you see him play inside almost like as a traditional Mike, but is he better served to kind of play outside as a Sam linebacker in those? Let me ask you this, Bucky, real quick. Um, And it's kind of what I just said about Parsons. I'm definitely guilty of doing this. Like under the old regime, especially with Rod Marinelli, you just you can just cross names off the list in January. You know you're like like you're like oh this this guy's a one technique. Yeah, I don't even need to watch his tape. Um, no, I'm and and I I get that with Zayvon Collins where I'm like this guy's clearly a hell of a player, but he is a big guy. I mean he's he's six yeah. three two sixty you know two hundred sixty pounds. That does not look like the type of linebacker that Dan Quinn would draft. To me, do you think I'm wrong mm-hmm. about that? No, I think I think you're right about that. He reminds me a lot of the kid that came out of Vanderbilt a couple years ago, Zach Cunningham. Yeah. Remember oh, yeah. Zach Cunningham, big from Vanderbilt, big. I don't want to say he was a lumberer, but he was kind of like a throwback 1970s linebacker, right? Big, heavy-handed, or whatever. Xavier Collins kind of strikes me as that. When you think about this defense and what Dan Quinn uh, has traditionally done, first in Seattle, then when you see what they were able to do in Atlanta, he wants fast guys, vision and break guys, and the size wasn't as big of a factor. It was more speed, instincts, reactions. How quick can they get to the ball? Can they create disruption? So I don't think you're wrong when you say, I don't know if Xavier Collins is a is, is a fit for how they want to play because in, in my mind, Xavier Collins is going to run around like Jalen Smith, and I don't know if Jalen Smith don't is a that, fit man. in the defense in terms of the speed or whatever. And I know he is as critical as anybody else of his game, but from a critical eye over here, I just don't know sideline to sideline if he's that kind of player. And so it remains to be seen what this looks like when DQ gets his hands on this defense. Well, now Zayvon Collins is completely tanked in every mind of every wrong. <laughs> it's It's over. It's it's done. If, if Zayman Collins is picked at 10, there's going to be riots in the streets in, in Arlington and Frisco and Dallas all over the place. Goodness gracious. I love it, Bucky. I mean, you're not wrong. You're exactly, what you, you're exactly right in saying that that's why you need the specific type of player. And I know player over scheme, BPA, mm-hmm. we can talk all about all of those things. But at the same time, there is a fine line that you have to walk. And if Zayman Collins doesn't fit what Dan Quinn wants to do defensively, then most likely he's not going to end up being the pick. And so I don't know if necessarily he could be there. Now, Michael Parsons could be that pick, and you could also throw Jeremiah Usukoromora, mm. at least in the conversation, but Zayvon Collins just doesn't look like that type of player, being the 6'4", 250-pound linebacker in which he should be measured to be uh, whenever we get to Tulsa Pro Day. But we're going to step aside. When we come back, we're going to do some Twitter on the 20. We already answered one from our guy Jake because of the linebacker question. But when we come back, we'll answer some more of your questions and roll on here on the DallasCowboys.com Draft Show, presented by Miller Lite. Sometimes nothing beats a classic. Miller Lite, the original light beer, brewed with great taste and only 96 calories, available for delivery. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories, 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. 
We're back with a tasty treat that's sweeping airwaves and taste buds. It's new Dr. Pepper and Cream Soda. Let's take a listen. Dr. Pepper and Cream Soda's here. A new combo that's music to my ears, okay. Let's play. Cream Soda and Dr. Pepper time. Pour it in a glass of ice. Ah, music to my ears and mouth. New Dr. Pepper and Cream Soda. A delicious duet. Hey, Cowboys fans, if you're thinking about attending a game this season, visit CowboysTravel.com to book your travel package today. Stay at the team hotel, have dinner with a Cowboys legend, and experience AT&T Stadium's exclusive VIP Owners Club. Also, tour the star, get autographs from your favorite players, and talk X's and O's with me, Mickey Spagnola. The official travel partner of the Dallas Cowboys will take care of all your travel needs. Visit CowboysTravel.com. There's nothing as unique as our eyes, which is why Essilor pioneers ways to make lenses as unique as you. Verilux for super sharp vision, Essential Blue for protection, and Crizal for freedom from glare. Three cutting-edge solutions in a single unique lens. So whatever your needs, insist on Essilor. Visit your local Essilor experts and find the perfect lens for you. See more. Do more. Essilor. Sometimes nothing beats a classic. Miller Lite, the original light beer. Brewed with great taste and only 96 calories. Available for delivery. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories, 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. This is the DallasCowboys.com Draft Show. Back here on the second segment here of the DallasCowboys.com Draft Show, presented by Miller Lite. Got Chris Beam, we've got Bucky Brooks, David Hellman, and Brian Broaddus normally joining us here at this point. We're going to try and get him on here in a couple of moments. But it's time now to get into another edition of some Twitter on the 20. Twitter on the 20. Sounder in the back, of course, brought to you by Chris Beam. So let's go into some Twitter on the 20, and this one is from Matt Thomas. And he's actually asking a, uh, a Dak Prescott question. And I know we're all just raring to go to talk about Dak Prescott a little bit more on these DallasCowboys.com podcasts because that's exactly what we want to do with our day. But Matt Thomas <laughs> does ask, he said, last year Dak or his agent wanted a four-year deal. If this year they want a three-year deal and you sign him, could Dallas still consider a quarterback at pick number 10 if Lance is there, uh, Lance is there first year of the deal for Dak is back from injury? So... Basically, his question is, is the opposite thinking of what normally you would think is if there's no deal, draft a quarterback. And we've talked about that on this show. He's saying even if there is a deal, do you still think about taking a quarterback at 10, Dave? Uh, absolutely not. Um, if I mean, if, if Dak is under contract for multiple years, then, you know, with all due respect to the Green Bay Packers, they are a very well-run organization. I just think that's a terrible idea. And, yeah, maybe – Maybe the Packers don't win the NFC Championship if they draft a receiver in the first round. Maybe they don't draft a receiver at all. Maybe they draft a defender who helps their defense play that much better and get Tom Brady off the field. Like, if you have a quarterback who is at the top, you know, at the top of his position, doesn't have to be the best, but if he's in the top handful, which I think Dak is, then you got to use a pick like that to make the rest of your roster better. Like, I mean, and and I like like I said, I mean. Quarterbacks are always valuable. If you were to draft Trey Lance at number 10, 
he's a great insurance policy. Maybe he helps you in the future. Maybe you can trade him down the line like the Patriots did with Jimmy Garoppolo. I get it. But if the goal is to make the NFC Championship and beyond for the first time in 30 years, a guy who's not supposed to play ain't helping you do that. So the only way I'm considering a quarterback is if they can't get Dak signed. Um, that's just me. Okay, so here, here's the thing. I'll play devil's advocate on this because we talk about the quarterback position being the most important position in football, yet we don't want to commit big-time resources. So let's just imagine that we did have an even better quarterback behind Dak Prescott when he got injured instead of doing the revolving door with Ben Genucci and Gilbert and then Andy Dalton. Say you had a young, dynamic playmaker that was there. You do wonder how many other wins would have been in the hopper for that. But to your point, Dave, it doesn't make sense for the Cowboys to do that. I just want to throw that out there. It doesn't really make sense for them to do the quarterback thing unless Dak is not signed to a long-term deal. And I think it's going to be interesting because, man, I, I used to be decided like, oh, they'll get it done. Now I'm 50-50. Because when you think about the money and what could take place and the the two franchise tags and the 44% increase on next year's tag, if they tag him, I just think this has to be a situation where you look at it and if he is not signed to the tag early, if he doesn't do a long-term deal by the beginning of April, I think you have to put the quarterback in play because you just don't know if he's going to be in the mix for years to come. And when you look at the teams that are going deep in the playoffs, they're teams with guys that are t pretty much playing on rookie deals. Like yeah. the quarterback is on a rookie deal because you can build out the rest of the team. And so I just wonder if that's the road that we're heading when it comes to that position. How you Which, and nobody, I say this every time, nobody loves Dak more than me. I want Dak to be the future of this franchise. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm with you. You, I mean, if, if you can't get this done, then you've got to find a way to take advantage of being in this position in the draft. And what terrifies me what absolutely terrifies me is if they don't get a deal done with Dak and then they draft Caleb Farley, who I, I love Caleb Farley. He's probably, if Dak is under contract, he's probably the guy that I would want them to draft the most. But then imagine they draft Caleb Farley, we get to July, a deal doesn't get done, and now you have a pretty good cornerback pairing and no quarterback, and you have no idea where you're going to be drafting next year. Um, yeah. Nightmare absolute nightmare and i hope we can avoid it please cowboys do something <laughs> <laughs> that's the crossroads that we're talking about i talked about that yesterday on talking cowboys i know bucky you talked about it on the nfl network dave on the break i mean we've all had these conversations throughout we don't talk about it a ton on this show because we want to talk about prospects but that's the decision you've got to make you have to find out if Dak is your future or not plain and simple figure it out don't take an extra quarterback if you don't have to if he's not your future fine yes take a quarterback and we'll, we'll, we'll go from there and see what happens I don't know if at 10 you're going to be able to get a Trey Lance you may have to settle for Mac Jones Everybody's okay with Ooh, that. Mac Jones Mac Jones. Well, okay, is that a is that a positive or a negative there? No, that, not 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 for me. Not for me. Yeah, I'll pass no. on that. Which, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll yeah. pass on. I'll just I'll that. say this. That's why I said settle. We don't have to go too far down this rabbit hole, but if they if they don't sign Dak and they try to pick a quarterback, they need to trade up from ten. They need to. Oh, they, they yeah. won't. Yeah, yeah. They won't get a guy. They won't get the guy. They got to use. They got to use the comp picks yeah. and and what and a future one. Whatever they got to do. You know, this is a terrible example because Carson Wentz just got traded out of Philly. But Philly traded up from sixteen to two to get him. You know, you're probably you're not getting Trevor Lawrence, but 
if you got to trade up to four to get Justin Fields or whatever the hell you got to do, you got to do it if you're not going to sign Dak. Which yep. that goes back to I me mean, like you're not you're not fixing this problem without spending significant resources anyway. So you might as well just sign the guy that's already here. How, how do you want to spend? How do you want to spend the capital? Do you want to spend it in yep. cash? When it comes to Dak Prescott, or do you want to spend it in draft capital? Either way, you have to make sure that the number one position in football is taken care of. And so you just have to pick. How do you want to do it? Pay me now, pay me later. Number one position in sports, and that's exactly why we are talking about it here on the Trash Show. Uh, let's go into Chef Block 202's question on Twitter. He said, which one of these space eaters would be the best day three pick for the Cowboys since Dallas doesn't have a true one technique? Tyler Shelvin? to Daryl Slayton or Quentin Bohana. And we can throw different names in there as well. Ultimately looking at defensive tackles on day two, late day two, day three, potentially for the Cowboys to fill that one technique slot. Man, that's tough because you're talking about like a one technique spot. Like I won't say you can get a space eater anywhere. I'm still trying to figure out like how DQ likes his defensive tackles because when you look at them, right, Grady Jarrett, was a pass rushing phenom, but he's an undersized guy. He's not necessarily your classic defensive tackle in terms of the way that he's built. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, it's kind of tough because you're asking for day three. Um, who knows? I think a guy who's going to, no, no, I think a guy who is going to fall, who is going to be in the conversation, and he's a guy who was highly acclaimed coming out. Like, Marvin Wilson is going to be an interesting conversation to have. Because when you look at him, depending on which year of tape you look at, you see a guy who can dominate. You see a guy with heavy hands. You see a guy with athleticism. This year, he didn't have the same level of athleticism because he was dealing with the injury. When you watch him at the Senior Bowl, he's just, eh, he's okay. But there are some that believe that you can dust off those things and you can put him in a position that may help him. He may not have been playing at his best at Florida State. I'll, I'll just throw in, the, and I agree with everything you just said, but... but I mean, yeah, Grady Jarrett obviously became this great player, but I believe he was a fifth-round pick. Fifth, yeah, he's a fifth-round So, round pick. yeah, I mean, you can definitely find these guys. And, oh, my God, Tyler Shelvin is just a comically large man. Like, geez, good Lord. And, you know, every we, we made a big deal about uh, – we made a big deal about Dantari Poe because of how big he was, and we're not used to having that type of DT around here. Tyler Shelvin might be bigger than Dantari Poe, at least at this point in his career. Um, yeah. I definitely, I think day three is the right conversation to have because I know, you know, I know it's a new D coordinator. I get that, but I don't see this front office spending a huge pick on a two-down player. You know, I know they drafted Gallimore last year, but I, you know, he's a guy that they mm-hmm. feel good about his ability to rush the passer. Tyler Shelvin strikes me as more of like a two-down player, which you know, I just I can't imagine the Cowboys drafting a two-down player with a top 100 pick, and I do. You know, we got to see how free agency plays out as well. And that they choose to address via free agency, because you think about it, you just drafted Gallimore. You felt pretty good about what Tristan Hill showed before he got hurt last year. So that's that's yeah. two lofty draft picks that they used in the last two years. That I, I'm not saying you can count on it, but you at least feel good about what they might be able to give you. So I won't be surprised. If they have, yeah, if they fill that out with free agents rather than try to draft it, honestly. When I and I think the interesting thing, if you go back and look at DQ's history with who he's played with inside, um, they haven't been like big guys. So you talk about Shelvin, but 
Brandon Meebane was kind of a squatty body fire hydrant plugger at Seattle. And then you think about Grady Jarrett. And then he also had Rashad Hageman, who didn't necessarily work out yeah. for him in the Falcons, but he was their big three technique. So if, if you ask me, I still don't know exactly what DQ likes at that position because it's been a little bit of a hodgepodge in terms of the players that have played. I do still believe that there's a, a spot and a role for Tristan Hill at some at some standpoint. And I don't know. I think I don't know how much they'll commit to a free agent defensive tackle. And I also don't know if I, if they're going to commit like a top pick to another guy when you talked about a second and a third round pick being used on defensive tackle in, in the most recent past. And I think that's kind of why day three in in the question. That no, that's the perfect spot for it. Yeah, yeah, perfect spot because early day three, and you have so many of those picks in the top one hundred. Uh, that's fine. You can spin that elsewhere. Maybe right out right outside of that top one hundred, top two hundred picks. That's that's your sweet spot because you're not necessarily looking for someone to replace Neville Gallimore. You want Neville Gallimore to be a starter next year. You want Tristan Hill to take that next step as a second round pick. You, it, sure, but you also have a safety net back behind him that's not maybe Antoine Woods or Tyrone Crawford. You have some of those extra b- bodies back there. Sure. I'm interested to hear what you guys think about Aleem McNeil out of NC State. Mm-hmm. And I know this is probably not a day three pick. I think he's somebody that will go in the second or third round. And I like him a lot in terms of the size, the way that he moves uh, at 320 pounds. It doesn't look like he moves at 320. He moves really well, and he's a sideline-to-sideline type of guy if you need him in the run game. And he's good at kind of chasing down guys in the flat, or at least on film. But, Bucky, what do you think about what McNeil brings to the table, and where does he rank among your defensive tackles at the moment? Well, look, Lee McNeil, like, you're talking about 6'2", 290-something pounds, uh, coming out of the North Carolina State. Here's what I'll say about North Carolina State when it comes to their ability to produce. They have produced a ton of defensive linemen that have played successfully in the National Football League. For whatever reason, they got a secret sauce there. I don't really understand it, but something in the they, water. they, yeah, it's something in the water there. Look, I, I think what you're talking about is you're talking about a junkyard dog on the inside, and what you need is someone that can stack and control the point, which is able to do. Someone who can make plays in that tight box area. Uh, he's certainly of interest. And when you're talking about in day three, what you're looking for is what a one or two redeeming qualities that they present that will enable them to be successful in the league. And so, look, man, he's tough, he's physical, he has some quickness and some hand strength. Like, you, that's enough to be there. And then if you put him in the rotation, and depending upon how DQ wants to utilize this scheme, there's no reason why he wouldn't be able to be successful. Dave, have you gotten to watch any of McNeil yet? Uh, not extensively, but again, I mean, again, and what? So, yeah, not a, not a day three prospect. Which, I just, yeah, I, I'm all in favor, you know, Dane Brugler has said it the whole time I've done this, this traits. That's what you're looking at when you get in the back. And I'm at least encouraged what, you know, we don't know the comp picks as of yet, but the Cowboys are probably going to have as many as 10 draft picks. And people, I mean, people get all excited, and, and rightfully so. You get all excited that you can use those to move around if you want to. You can also... Just take a hell of a lot of fun throws of the dart if you've got that many picks, because the vast majority of them are going to be on day three. You know, if they have ten, then that means they would probably pick six times on day three. And with that in mind, take your pick of the space eater that you feel the best about starting in the fourth round and giddy up. I like it. How about like a Bobby Brown out of Texas A&M or a 
uh, to Daryl Slayton out of Florida. There's a couple guys there that you could potentially have. I think there's a couple of names there that the, that the Cowboys could look at. Hey, maybe a senior bowl guy. Maybe like a Cameron Sample out of Tulane. I know mm-hmm. it's a small really school, well. but I think he's a solid player and could be right in the middle of that mix. But there's definitely a chance at defensive tackle, and I think it, it would lie right around that third round. Or not third round, but past the third round into day three, potentially for the Cowboys. Let's go ahead and take our second break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the tags, touching on a couple of those wide receivers. I even want to get Bucky's opinion on some of these running backs. Maybe not for the Cowboys, but we need to talk about the tailback position as well. We'll be right back here on the DallasCowboys.com Draft Show, presented by Miller Lite. Sometimes nothing beats a classic. Miller Lite, the original light beer. Brewed with great taste and only 96 calories. Available for delivery. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories, 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. The Cowboys way. Where 16 Hall of Famers and 5 championships shows us what success looks like. Where turkey is always the second best part of Thanksgiving Day. Where we are all defined by one single thing. The star. Where we as fans know it's our job to keep the tradition going. Bank of America is proud to be the official bank of the Dallas Cowboys and to support the quest of living life the Cowboys way. Copyright 2020, Bank of America Corporation. Honey, big news. Gary, are you okay? Oh, I'm not Gary anymore. I'm Jackie Flash. What? See, I want the latest smartphone, but the best deals are only for new customers. So to get a new customer deal, I changed my name to Jackie Flash. Okay, but the best smartphone deals at AT AT&T are for everyone, new and existing customers. That's huge. Then guess who's getting a deal? Is it Jackie Flash? Jackie Flash. It's not complicated. At AT AT&T, our best smartphone deals are for everyone. Restrictions apply. Visit att.com for details. Before there was a draft, you could size up a cowboy by three simple factors. The crease in his hat, the bend of his brim, and his unbending attitude. A man Stetson didn't just protect him from what life threw at him. It projected a rugged, unstoppable spirit. Stetson hats are still American-made with pride right here in Texas. They're still the unofficial crown of all self-respecting cowboys. And Stetson is proud to be on the field with America's team. Find a retailer nearest you at stetson.com slash cowboys. Sometimes nothing beats a classic. Miller Lite, the original light beer. Brewed with great taste and only 96 calories. Available for delivery. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories, 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. is the DallasCowboys.com Draft Show. Final segment here of the Draft Show presented by Miller Lite here on this Tuesday. Be sure to join the next group of guys. We've got JC, Mr. Jeff Cavanaugh, Gregory Rousseau, Hater, which we're going to talk about here in a second as well because I want to get Bucky Brooks' opinion on that. And we've got Dane Brugler and Kevin KT Turner, 10 a.m. Central Time on Thursday. But we've got Bucky Brooks, David Helm, and I'm Kyle Yemens with Chris Beam back at the SWBC Mortgage Studios. And we did get to talk a little bit about the defensive line and defensive tackle. But before we go into wide receivers and running backs for a split second here, Bucky, I want to get your opinion on Gregory Rousseau, edge rusher out of Miami. We've heard extensively on this program that Jeff Cavanaugh does not like him. And at some point, I'm going to get you guys on the same show, and we're going to have a battle of words about (laughs) Gregory Rousseau, because I know you're pretty high on the guy. 
Well, I just think when you look at the traits and you look at what traditionally plays in the league, like he checks off a lot of boxes. His production, it sees those that are in the same category with him. We look at Quiddy Pay, Ojalari, all those guys. They don't have the level of production that Gregory Rousseau had in one year at Miami. And so when I look at Rousseau, he's long. He does a really good job of using his hands. He is not the most explosive in terms of first step quickness, but he finishes. And as you watch him progress over that season that he played, he got better and better and better. And then when you talk to him, he is a guy who can articulate a pass rush plan, and he is someone who has picked up some tips along the way. And so we didn't get a chance to see him, so we have no idea what he would have looked like. But based on the flashes, I think the flashes should lead you to believe that he can be a player that grows into being, if not a dominant player, but a very disruptive presence off the edge. I'm terrified of... What do you think about I'm it? terrified of both of the Miamians, honestly. I'm terrified of Rousseau and uh, Jalen Phillips. Jalen Phillips, just, yeah. I I didn't, I don't see it with him in terms of, like, having the explosiveness and the power, at least not right now. Mm. And then Rousseau, it, I'll, like, I feel hypocritical saying this because I'm like, yeah, like, you see flashes and... He's got he's got the measurables and he's got this and he's got that, but like he took the year off. It kind of reminds me of like the art, you know, when, whenever you see a, a Shaq Barrett or a Demarcus Lawrence do this in the NFL, you're like, is this worth a multi-year contract or do we need to tag him and see it again? Like I would love to have seen another year of this to prove that Gregory Rousseau can actually do this. And then at the same time, my guy Caleb Farley, I'm just like, oh yeah, he's fine. He can do it. Like I've watched enough of him. Yeah. That yeah. Caleb Farley's fine. Like I don't know why I feel fine about one guy okay. and not fine about the other, but I just didn't see the consistency that I would have preferred to from Rousseau that makes me feel like I would want to draft him in the top ten. Okay, so then let's talk about the other pass rushers that are in the class, like Quiddy Pay. Like, why are we excited about Quiddy Pay when Quiddy Pay doesn't get the quarterback? Not excited about him either, yeah. for whatever that's worth. Right. Just okay. <laughs> so then, right. So then, why would we be excited about Ojalari when Ojalari is a one-trick pony? He does the same move all the time, and he also doesn't have tremendous amount of production. The one thing that translates in the National Football League, guys who sack the quarterback in college. They sack the quarterback in the pros, like guys that get guys to the ground. And I think sometimes when we're studying pass rushers, we confuse activity for achievement, meaning guys comes off, we see all the moves, we see them flash, they do all this, but we never see them take anybody down. And I think we just have to be careful of falling in love with those guys because those guys that are active and fast or whatever, but if they don't have a sustained history of getting the quarterback down, they're not going to get them down in the pros. Like it typically doesn't change no, it's, it's funny, uh, the and we talk about it all the time, like the weight that these postseason games can play. Because, uh, you know, Ojolari just goes and wallops Cincinnati in the Sugar Bowl. Or, or the, a backup, against, against a backup. Absolutely. Tackle. So you're yeah. like, you're like, oh my God, I got to watch. I think he was like, he was the first player I watched, like, after the conclusion of the season because of that game. And uh, I was like, all right, I got to watch more of this guy. I, I watched him play Florida. I watched him play three or four SEC games. And I was like, oh, I, I don't know. Like, I'm not, I'm not high yeah. on this guy anymore. Yeah. And then, but then at the same time, Christian Barmore just kicks everybody's ass in the playoff. And you go back and watch him. And yeah. I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, I like this guy a lot. So, again, it's, yeah, one, it, thing to, it's, it's, it's one thing to kick ass in one game. But if you go watch a handful of games and you don't see it the same way, that, that weighs heavily for me for sure. 
Yeah, here's the thing about Jalen Phillips that I, w- I, w- I would tell you to look at. So Jalen Phillips doesn't have like the, the pop that we look at. Like So when we talk about pop, we talk about first step quickness, burst, can you turn speed into power. But if you look at him, watch how he utilizes his hands and how he sequences his moves. Yeah. Like his ability, his ability to attack one and then to immediately get a feel and go to a counter move, like that's kind of like next level stuff. I won't put these guys in the same thing, but if you go back, like I would say, go back and look at the Boses and how they got their sack production versus Chase Young. When you see them, they're more technical and refined. They are kind of like Mr. Miyagi in terms of wax on, wax off to get by, as opposed to, A, I'm a superhero. I jump tall buildings in a single bound and I just run past you. Those guys that have great hand skills, they kind of sneak up on you. You look up at the end of the year like, man, how does this guy have like nine or ten sacks? How, how does this guy? Now, they may not be the number one pass rusher, but they may be the complement on the backside. And so when we think about, like for the Cowboys in particular, D-Law is the number one. Randy Gregory would be the number two, or whoever's on the backside is the number two guy. So what you need from that number two guy is to be able to consistently just get garbage sacks. I need you to, when D-Law forces the quarterback to run out the other side, I need you to be there to collect him. I don't necessarily need you to be able to win on your own all the time, but if you can win a handful of times because D-Law is the guy that's going to get us to double digits, collectively we can put together a great pass rush because we have a 1A and then we have a guy that is a, a solid number two on the backside so it depends on what you need I think when you look at edge rusher especially in this draft I mean there's multiple guys that like we said earlier you you may knock a little bit just for not being able to play this year and you could even say that about other positions as well Dave you mentioned Caleb Farley you're fine with I'm sure that's probably the same at wide receiver with Jamar Chase nobody's really worried about Jamar Chase after taking a year off but why is it like guys like a Gregory Rousseau, like a Micah Parsons, are knocked for having that year off and not having that extra year of tape? Yeah. Because we're scared about it in certain scenarios, and I'm sure front offices feel the same way, but we're not scared about it enough. And it's, it's a weird thing to articulate. At, at the same time, like I probably feel better about Caleb Farley because I didn't see him play. You know, like people are... People, People are looking for excuses to ding Patrick Sertan because he gets yes. he gets yes. grabby sometimes. He's given up, you know, he played 15 games mm. against the top competition in the country. You know, he played the SEC, then he played, yeah. uh, you know, he played two playoff games against the best teams in the country. And so, and, and he had a good season. Like, his tape is, mm-hmm. is good. But... Yeah. If you watch enough of it, you're like, oh, he, he kind of got victimized here. You know, like going back to mm-hmm. last year, Jamar Chase, everybody on LSU beat up on Alabama's secondary last year. So it's almost like the more information you have, the easier it is to come up with excuses. Whereas Caleb Farley, you're like, oh, yeah, he, he looked dominant for most of last year. I feel fine about him. It's funny that you say that, right, because I, I kind of feel like some of this is, has taken place. And I know we won't talk about quarterbacks. But I feel like that conversation with Justin Fields and Zach Wilson and Trey Lance and all that, like sometimes when we see guys play at a, on, a, on a bigger stage longer, we have a tendency to poke holes in their game as opposed to the Johnny come lately, the guy that we didn't know. And I'm going to blame Joe Burrow for a lot of this, right? <laughs> because because we, were, we had such differing views on Joe Burrow from his junior season to his senior season, 
that we're scared and that yeah. that that leaves scars. And so now what you do is what do you you overcorrect. So now you're like, no, 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 no. I know it's one year production, but I know he can do it. And he can do it over and over again. And so and taking it back to what you talk about with Caleb Farley and Patrick Sertan, well, we've seen Patrick Sertan more. We have more tape on them. So, of course, the more games you play, the more susceptible you are to being victimized. Whereas Caleb Farley has kind of been in the bubble, safe and protected, and we still don't know. And it's one of those things. I have a rule, like, at some point, you got to put the pin down when it comes to evaluating. Like, because study, study long, study wrong. The more you study, you can overanalyze, and you can just talk yourself into these scenarios. So, at some point, you have to set a deadline. Look, this is my grade. This is what I believe in it. And I'm rolling. I'm not. I'm not going to change because there are no new games that are going to hit the film center. I like it. Yeah. And I mean, you could say that about any of the positions. You could say that defensively, mm-hmm. offensively. The whole draft is like that. And that's what I think is fun about the draft. First off, <laughs> and it's even more fun this year. Hey, let's throw all the wrenches. I don't think it's fun at all. I'm frustrated as hell. Because <laughs> <laughs> you you normally, Dave doesn't want to show. Normally, by late, like by the time we get back, that's. I'm pissed that I'm not an indie right now because normally by the time we get back from indie, I get like you know, it, it's fun to watch these guys. Like just as as a, mm-hmm. as a draft fan, it's fun to watch this. But ultimately, the goal is to figure out who the Cowboys' picks are going to be. At least that's my goal. And it's I I don't have as good of an idea as I normally would, and it upsets me. None. <sighs> no, and. It's crazy even getting back to this point, and I didn't mention this earlier when we were talking about the Combine, but the Combine was really kind of the last couple moments last year before the whole process was flipped on its yep. head, and the whole world changed. And we haven't necessarily recovered from that and gotten back to normal yet, of course. I mean, everybody knows that, but it was it was right up until that point, and then right after the Combine, it seemed like everything shut down. So it's just crazy to me that we're already back at this point, and we're having to deal with some of the stuff that we had to deal with throughout 2020 now we've got about 150 seconds worth of uh running back talk go bucky who's your favorite running back prospect because we haven't talked tailbacks at all and i know there's a couple of north carolina tar heels up in the mix as some of my favorite running backs but i watched a little bit of tailback this week and just kind of got my feet wet with it but i know you've had to look at it pretty in depth no, I think the conversation between Najee Harris and Travis Entienne is going to be an interesting one. I know people have long assumed that Travis Entienne was going to be the number one. But when I look at Entienne, I see more of a one-cut runner, um, a guy who is, look, he's explosive. His 0-60 to 60 is everything that you look for at the running back position. I don't think he's necessarily a natural pass catcher. When I watch him stylistically, he reminds me a little bit of Jamal Charles. Um, he can get down, but I think he, he's not necessarily a creative runner in terms of being able if it's not blocked he's going to get skip and scoot and do all those other things and Najee Harris Najee Harris is a I mean a big bodied running back who has little guy skills he can catch it out the backfield he can run legitimate routes um he has a smoothness to his game that is surprising because he also has some pop and some other stuff but I think the the thing that is on the streets that's coming out, there are a lot of people that have a lot of love for Javante Williams coming out of North Carolina. Yep. He has explosive. He has big-time juice. He catches the ball out the backfield. He can drop his shoulder. Those things. I wouldn't be surprised if, look, man, he may be the first guy to hear his name called. And I think that's going to surprise a lot of people. Wow. But I think in scouting circles, there's some people that have a lot of love for him uh, and what he brings. 
this is where I differ from everybody else, and I, I won't apologize for it. Again, I'm looking for Cowboy draft picks. So how much time have I spent on running back? Almost none. None. Almost none, because... <laughs> Zero. Zero. I mean, a little more than zero, but not a whole lot more okay. than zero. I mean, Zeke's here. I don't think Zeke's going anywhere. Tony's here for the foreseeable future. And you even had uh, Rico Dowdle show some stuff as an undrafted free agent last year. I would be very surprised if the Cowboys spent big-time resources. Um, I don't need to talk about Najee Harris. I mean, Actually, Bucky's conversation just reminded me. I know it's dangerous to compare guys just because they went to the same school. It's hard for me to like. It's not hard for me to imagine that Najee Harris, if he doesn't go, if he's not the first running back, well, neither was Derrick Henry, and we all see how that's playing out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a, yep. a guy that I love a lot, just you know, I'm a big SEC guy. I've watched a lot of SEC football. Kylan Hill, awesome player. Yes, awesome nice player. player. Good player. Um, you know, he's he's not a home run guy, but he's shifty. He's a bowling ball. He's powerful. He's got underrated receiving ability. Um. If you told me I could get his blocking, if you good. told me I could get him in the third round, like, I mean, I wouldn't love that for the Cowboys again because I don't think they need it. But I think he's a hell of an underrated player. But again, uh, I, I mean, Chuba Hubbard's a guy that I've loved watching his entire college career. So many, he is a home run. So many running backs. Like that guy. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I, I mean, no, there's I been so many running backs. It's, it's honestly, it's kind of a bummer because it would. It would be it would be fun to talk about this if I thought there was a legitimate possibility the Cowboys would draft one. But even if they do, I just I don't think it would like third round at the absolute earliest, but probably more like a day three insurance policy. I've got guys like Trey Sermon and Puka Williams, and I'm not completely done with my running back rankings at the moment, but they're sixteen and seventeen in the running back position. And I think both of those guys are ballers. And so, I mean, you look all the way down the list, you can pick up an undrafted free agent again at the running back position, and he's probably going to find a way to make the roster like we saw Rico Dowdle do last year out of South Carolina. So there's a potential for that, and there's a potential for anything in this draft. That's kind of the theme of today is there's potential for madness whenever it comes to the 2021 draft. I want to thank Chris Beam in the back, as always, running things from the SWBC Mortgage Studios. For David Hellman, for Bucky Brooks, I'm Kyle Yeomans. Catch us again next Tuesday, 10 a.m. Central Time, and then this Thursday at 10 a.m. Central. But until then, we'll see you next time here on The Draft Show. This has been a production of DallasCowboys.com and the Dallas Cowboys Football Club. How about you, Cowboys? Yeah!